On this week's episode of the EchoCast, we will talk about Forza Horizon 5, BF 2042's Portal Mode, Unpacking, Halo Infinite, Elden Ring, and much, much more. Let's get into it. Welcome to the EchoCast, a gaming podcast brought to you by me, Bon Diesel. This is episode 160. We're calling this one a potluck week because there's just a whole bunch of little things to talk about and we're all just bringing our own story. So that's what we're doing this week. Please take a moment to subscribe to and rate the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on. If you're on YouTube, please comment below and like the video to help out the algorithm. If you are on iTunes, please leave a review and share it with your friends. Also, be sure to let me know if you have any topics or questions for the next show by tagging me on Twitter, submitting them in the YouTube comments, joining the Discord, or by becoming a patron. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for this month, PK, Uber Timmy, Hassan, Darren, Christian, Manmade Golf, Grineau, and welcome to our newest patron, The Dawn. If you would like to support this podcast and my other content, please check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Last, before we head into the gaming topics, please help me hit my Extra Life $1,000 fundraising goal for 2021 by donating on my Extra Life page in the description or comments below, joining my Patreon, and I will match the cost of your first month as a donation to the campaign, or purchase merch from my Streamlabs store, and I will donate two and a half times the profit. It's about five bucks for each item to the campaign. Past all of that super fun stuff, let's talk about games. This week we are talking about the first uh, topic we're going to talk about here is Forza Horizon 5 and its reviews. So um, it seems like a bunch of uh, outlets got early copies and you could also pay extra money to get early access. Uh, so right now, as of I believe this morning, uh, anyone who pays the extra amount can play and uh you know, before that, we obviously had the reviews that we always get from gaming outlets and such, and it's been extremely positive. It seems like um, I think the Metacritic, uh, the last time I looked, it was over 80, close to 90. Um, most of the reviews I've seen from at least the major outlets are giving it uh, 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 or the equivalent to their own scale. And it seems like uh, things are going pretty well for for, uh, for Horizon 5. Um, from what I've watched, uh, I was impressed by horizon or uh, yeah, by horizon four. Um, I'm not super enthralled by like an open world racing type game. Um, I, I, you know, like games like the, the base Forza game, you know, Gran Turismo back in the day. Um, but I've never really been able to get into the horizon games. Um, I have seen a few of the reviews mention that, uh, this one is one that will pull people in probably more so than other ones have, so I am, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to try it. I can't wait to play. Um, at the very least, I'm excited to play it as kind of a, um, 
uh, an opportunity to kind of see my Series X get to flex some of its power. Um, I got to do that, you know, previously with Guardians of the Galaxy, and now I'm excited to see uh, kind of see what it can do with uh, with the first party game. So, um, so yeah, so there's that. Uh, the 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 topic I kind of wanted to touch on though was that there's um, a lot of people even saying that Horizon Five may have some Game of the Year um, talk. Um, it, it's really interesting when you see people talk about games and talk about Game of the Year um, because they're mostly talking about the, the Video Game Awards um, and by Jeff Keighley. And it's it's kind of funny that you see people talk about games as either not contention, not in contention for Game of the Year, uh, games that will be talked about for Game of the Year. And then there's always like one or two games every year that like people are like, oh, this is going to win. So it's it's kind of funny how before we, the, the awards even happen, there, there's always kind of a um, the, the, there's a game that everyone kind of knows is going to win and then a bunch of other games people would like to win. Um, like this year games, like it takes two, um, you know, it's a relatively low budget game from a, 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 a relatively small studio, but from a innovation and gameplay point of view, it's, I think it should win game of the year easily. I haven't even played it, but I've watched enough streams of it. That I'm like, this game is more creative than anything I've seen in a really long time. And it's not going to win because it's, it's a co-op game, you know, like no one's going to vote for that. They're going to vote for whatever the best, you know, is it ratchet and clank or, you know, whatever first party game. Um, and, you know, people appreciated the most it's, um, it's interesting though. So like a game like this, like I feel like racing games and, and games like this are, are fit so much of like a niche that it's like hard to, you know, like you can see it and be like, wow, this is a really great game. And, 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 you know, these developers deserve to be awarded, but, uh, you know, then you also kind of know in the back of your head, like, I mean, it's not going to win game of the year. So um, whereas like someone, a big idiot like me, my game of the year is Mass Effect Legendary Edition, uh, a light remaster of a 10 plus year old game series. So um, I don't know. That stuff is always interesting to me. Uh, and then the final bit that I've kind of talked about a little bit is that um, from a technical standpoint, um, I really think uh, seeing what Forza Horizon 5 is, uh, has done is really exciting for Fable. Um, obviously, when it comes to telling stories and combat, all of that, that's a whole different bag of tricks that you know we can't really get an impression from with Horizon 5. But uh, we can see like a technical skill and ability and uh, the engine, because if you didn't know, already know, the engine that Horizon uses is what they're going to use for Fable. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I don't believe it's Unreal 5 or 4, um, but uh, whatever engine it is, I, I am like 99% sure they're using it for Fable. And it sure looks like it can it can fit the part, you know, so I, I say that we can at least surmise at this point that Fable is probably going to be very pretty. Uh, we'll have to see if it's good or not. Uh, and we can figure that out in probably like four or five years when it actually comes out. The second bit here is talking about Battlefield 2042. They released a trailer um, and a kind of, I think like a, like there was a blog and then um, some YouTubers like Matimio and some other people also covered it, uh, but they talked about the portal mode. Um, if you don't already know, uh, Battlefield 2042 is going to be broken into three parts. It's going to be the, the multiplayer that everyone knows about um, this kind of, kind of escape from Tarkov, hunt showdown type of mode um the hazard zone and then the third mode is going to be this portal and what portal is 
is it's essentially supposed to be a customizable mode where there's going to be modes from the devs, but you know, players can make them too, where you can take assets and game modes and maps and everything from essentially every single battlefield game ever made and make your own modes and do your own thing. And what we're, what we found out uh, in some blogs and some other coverage is that there's going to be like a, like an end game editor where you can, you can change a lot. You can change like factions, how many people are on like each team, what era, you know, what equipment they get, what all the weapons, like all those fairly in-depth rules. But then what we found out is that there is essentially a, like a script editor if you use um, that you can do on PC. And, um, and what it looked like to me is uh, when I've seen development videos for, for uh, game engines and you see how they script like interactions or animations and stuff like that. Um, this was a simplified version of that, that they're going to use in portal, but it's still very similar. And if given the time, if, if people put in dedication to it, um, people are going to be able to make some like, really substantially like significant um significantly customized modes and stuff like that in this portal thing so the thing is what that's gonna require though is a lot of people being interested and and i think that an issue that battlefield is dealing with in general is that most people want battlefield to just play the multiplayer that's it's got a fairly unique feel to it a unique flow and i think um I, I think that's what people are there for, you know, and and even the hazard mode, I, I kind of had have some weird vibes about because I don't really know if there's going to be that many like battlefield diehards who are into that gameplay. And then this portal thing, I mean, this this almost feels like Forge from Halo to me, like it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that customizable when it comes to the map and stuff but it definitely seems like it's going to be from a like a game rules and mechanics point of view like insanely customizable um but that requires one a player base and two people willing to spend the time to do those incredibly detailed um you know custom modes and custom scripting and stuff like that so i mean it's all available. I, I think what they've shown is really, really cool and will probably in, entice some people to get into it. But I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like even as a Battlefield fan, there's always been like a little brother syndrome of always feeling like, you know, Battlefield gets the short end of the stick for whatever reason, you know, for, for, you know, DICE and EA's choices or just because of their circumstances. So, um, but either way, the trailer was really cool and all of the information I've seen about the editor looks great and hopefully we'll get to see some really fun stuff uh, come out of that. Um, a kind of a little quick first impressions review thing here. Uh, last night, um, after seeing a bunch of other people streaming it and checking it out, um, I downloaded off of Game Pass for my PC, um, Unpacking, which is this little pixel art game where it starts off in 1997. Um, I think I've figured out that the character you're playing as or, or whose room it is is an 11 year old um, girl at the time um, and what, what well, all you do is you it shows you a room or multiple rooms and and there's boxes and you click on the boxes and they open and you keep clicking on them and items come out and you unpack the boxes and you organize these rooms and um 
what's interesting is what I've picked up already, and I saw it in some of the gameplay of other people, is it starts off in 1997. Uh, I think your character is 11 years old. That's kind of what I'm, what I could put together um, from some some of the later levels. And it's it's a kid's room. It's an 11 year old girl's room. So there's toys. There's there's computers. There you know there's clothes. It's all fairly basic. And um, there, there's some memorabilia from travels and, and things like that. And then the next one is seven years later, and it's uh, it's presumably their first. Um, like shared dorm basically and, and you're setting that up and so you still have a lot of the same toys and, and you know the things from their travels and but there's some items missing that because they're not a kid anymore um and then it skips i think three years to when they're probably a senior or graduated and they're living with roommates and so when you're unpacking there's roommate stuff everywhere so you have to move the roommate stuff to fit your stuff but you can't get rid of the roommate stuff because it's their stuff you know and and you have your own room, but you have to also unpack like the bathroom and the kitchen. And it's not just your stuff. There's other people's things there too. Um, and then the next one is a few years after that. Um, and it seems like your character is moving in with like a boyfriend. And and one of the striking things that I found was the the way it's all done is uh, in, in the previous one, her degree, you can put up her degree on the wall and, and you can put it in her room. And it's this thing that she's proud of, you know. And then the one with the boyfriend, there's no clear space to put it. And one of the only places you can put it is like in the closet or under the bed. And um, I, I, I haven't finished the game yet. But what I'm assuming is they're trying to subtly tell some stories with this game. And that's literally just an organization game. Like you're literally just taking things and putting them where they're supposed to go. And if you're real anal about it, you can like line everything up perfectly and, 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 and make it feel very satisfying. But what I can what I can tell is that they're trying to subtly tell a lot of stories as she gets older. She has more memorabilia from cities that she's traveled to and stuff like that. There's uh, there's like the, uh, the Eiffel Tower and the Lane Tower of Pisa and um, other uh, like a London bus and things like that. And so like they're, they're, they're trying to tell like some environmental storytelling and. And I'm really curious to how it keeps going. I've been so tempted to like look up spoilers, but I'm like, why would I look up spoilers for this adorable little game that I'm probably close to finishing anyways. So um, yeah, unpacking, if you have game pass and you just want something to, if you're a streamer or if you just want to play something that's very chill and relaxing and not crazy, I think unpacking is a really, really, really good thing to at least check out on Game Pass. Um, if you're on another platform where you have to pay for it, I actually don't know what it costs. But if it's 20 or 30 bucks, I don't know. I love it. The soundtrack is really, really good. It's got some it's it's got a great sound to it. Um, it, it it's it, they I think they recorded like 4000 unique sounds for picking items up and putting them down. Um, there are some really cool like logic things where like like if you open a closet door and you pull open a drawer inside the closet and put stuff into it, you can't close the closet door because it hits against the, the drawer. So you have to close the drawer and then close the closet. There's just a bunch of little charming things and, and, and kind of things that make you just kind of grin when you're playing that game. And uh, yeah, I highly, highly suggest it. Talking about Forza, I've seen people talk about unpacking be a game of the year. And I find it hard to disagree that... The thing is, is that the game of the year to an individual means their favorite game from that year. It doesn't mean the flashiest game or the one with the best graphics or, or whatever. It, it, it's typically going to mean the one that meant the most to them. Where on like a meta scale, if you look at that, um, you know, 
as a group, you assume that game of the years are typically going to be the ones with the best graphics and the most, you know, you know, the, the biggest, most explosive stories and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we'll have to see. I, I, I don't expect unpacking to actually get like on a nomination list for game of the year, whereas I think Forza probably will. Um, but it's a really cool game. So unpacking, I highly, highly suggest that you check it out and at least give it a shot. If you don't like it, no harm, no foul. Um, but it's it's just it felt nice to play a little frustrating in moments, but ninety nine point nine percent nice to play. With Halo Infinite, which is coming very soon and about a month, uh, we'll have the, the single player coming out. Um, we got a Halo Infinite story teaser, and it's essentially just a commercial or a little um, a, a little uh, video doc thing. And what it was is it shows uh, one of the Marines um, doing sign language. And what you realize is a message to another Marine's family. And he's telling the story of how that Marine passed away. Um, and that they, he passed away, um, you know, saving people and defending people. And it's also telling the story of how, um, the, the, the human forces got a hold of technology that let them, you know, have their shields uh, that like, uh, that master chief uses. And, um, it's 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 really touching it's it's some really great storytelling and the whole time that the marine is telling the story he's telling it in sign language and you can briefly notice it and then he talks about it during the uh during the, the little video that you know he got attacked by one of the aliens and his throat you can see his throat is stitched and he has a slice from like the, his like collarbone up to his chin and so he can't speak that's why he's using sign language and um it, it's like a really touching little thing it's um you know, it's both one, a great advertisement, it's great marketing and PR for the upcoming game. Um, and it's, you know, kind of setting the stage for a story um, where a big part of the game is going to be, um, you know, saving Marines, you know, working with them in theory to, to you know, check out this new, uh, this new ring and um, this new Halo ring. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was really cool. So um, you can you can find it on I'm sure Halo's YouTube, Xbox's YouTube. Uh, but it's a it was a really cool little story bit, and um, I hope that we get more of those over the next couple weeks. Uh, the next one here is there is a rumor, uh, and I think it's somewhat confirmed of a Red Dead Redemption remaster. Um, uh, basically, there's just a rumor that there's a remaster in the works. Um, after we are, you know, found out about and are getting extremely soon, the uh, Grand Theft Auto trilogy remaster, um, them remastering uh, Red Dead Redemption wouldn't be that surprising. Um, I think the only thing I'm really curious about is are they going to try to bring that game up to like a Red Dead Redemption two? Uh, graphical styling and quality uh which would be an amazing i would friggin love that or are they going to give it the grand theft auto trilogy treatment and give it kind of a cartoony stylized look um that's fine but for me it's probably the difference of if they bring it up to like red dead redemption 2 look i'll definitely replay it and buy it um if they if they do kind of a um a Grand Theft Auto trilogy thing, I'll probably just hope it hits Game Pass the way um, like I'm going to play San Andreas uh, of the trilogy remake uh, for Grand Theft Auto, but that's because it's going to be part of Game Pass. Um, I, I'm probably not going to go out of my way to buy the whole trilogy. So um, 
but very cool. Um, there's a lot of ways that I liked Red Dead Redemption more than Red Dead Redemption 2. There's a lot of ways I like them both. And then some things I liked more about too. Um, so, uh, so I'm crossing my fingers for that full uh, remake uh, to make it look like a, you know Red Dead Redemption 2 and be able to replay with those characters and those stories and um, and be able to really, you know, enjoy uh, the events of Red Dead Redemption after seeing the characters true colors from Red Dead Redemption 2 which despite the fact that it was 2 is actually a prequel <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll leave you with that uh, the next bit here is that we got uh, Red Dead Redemption uh, not, uh, Elden Ring gameplay so um, we got 15 minutes of the highly anticipated Elden Ring uh, gameplay uh, this is a game that is in the uh, the, the from soft, uh, from software thing where, uh, I, I, these are not my games. Um, and even the remake they did for PS five, I thought didn't really look that impressive. Um, this looks incredible. So this is not my type of game. This is the type of game that would make me break a controller. Um, but it's pretty. And it seems like the people who are into these type of games are really excited for it. Um, and were really impressed by what they saw. And even as someone not really into these things, um, I was pretty impressed. I thought it looked really good. They had some really um, just like nice small details, like the physics on uh, like the characters wearing like a cape and just the physics of it looked really good. I don't know if they were like real time or if they were just really well programmed, but to me, they looked very impressive. And um, there was a lot about it that looked really good and looked like a gigantic step up from the previous games um, from that developer and in that kind of genre. Um, so probably still not my thing, but definitely something to keep an eye on, uh, considering that Elden Ring for a long time was like one of the most anticipated announcements for a game ever until it finally did get announced last year. Um, it seems like it may live up to the hype and that's a thing that doesn't happen very often. Uh, second, to final story here, we have Diablo four and overwatch two have been delayed. Um, it basically just cites a bunch of uh, COVID issues, and um, it seems like there's a lot going on at Activision right now, Activision Blizzard. Um, Diablo 4, as far as I can tell, is being is pretty highly anticipated, and people are really excited for it. Um, Overwatch 2 is kind of weird. I feel like that um, community is is very large, but also kind of like within itself. And while it seems like there's kind of a general excitement for Overwatch 2, it is a weird game where it seems like it's like kind of a sequel. Um, but I I have seen people like kind of questioning like with what with what we know about it so far, that it seems like it's more of like a big DLC rather than necessarily a sequel. But uh, you know, as we've learned over the years, uh, you know, <laughs> that very well may be the case. But if they decide it's going to be a sequel, then that's what it's going to be. And I don't think anyone is going to think that Blizzard or Activision are acting out of character if they are going to do kind of a money grab with this kind of thing. Um, obviously, Blizzard Activision is dealing with the fallout still of all of the allegations and a bunch of crazy stuff that um, was discovered and found out in a lawsuit from the state of California and stuff like that. Um, they have made some pretty big strides, um, but even then, you know, they still have people within their company and outside of it still asking for more to the point where they even inspired um, developers from other companies to do similar things, including Ubisoft. There's a big push um, of, from Ubisoft employees and, and fans of the, of the developer and the publisher um, to, to get a lot of answers and things change. And there's actually an ongoing, uh, you know, campaign that where they're saying basically like, you know, Ubisoft 
said that they were going to make things better, but now a hundred plus days later, there's still people in positions who, you know, abused people or assaulted people or did awful things. And, um, they, they just kind of move them around to different studios and put them in different positions to try to kind of hide them away. Um, if you don't know the inner workings of Ubisoft, you should look into it. Um, but it's basically a very old school way of handling things. It's a family owned and run company. And so, you know, there, there, there were a few brothers who started the company back in the day. And now one of them is still in charge. The other ones I think are board members. And what you'll find is that the higher up the ladder you get at Ubisoft, the more friends and family of uh, the, the founding family, you'll notice. And unfortunately that means that there's a lot of favoritism and a lot of looking away from significant issues. And, um, it, and it seems like there's a pretty sustained campaign by Ubisoft employees, especially to hold them accountable and to try to get things to change and some things have changed and something of it. So, uh, you know, all of this stuff is all kind of connected um, with as much as you see developers cross over from one publisher or one developer to another. Um, you'll find that just because uh, one studio is having issues uh, that there's a pretty good chance that there's a bunch of other studios of people who work there and also had those issues or are having those issues at their other developers. So, uh, you know, the, the, the days of, um, Game developers not having a union and stuff, I think maybe numbered, um, but it definitely seems like the big companies like Activision, Ubisoft, and others are uh, are doing their best to keep that from happening. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. The final story here is talking a bit about um, some Division news. Um, so uh, the Division franchise has a bunch of extended universe stuff going on uh, recently and in the near future. And we are finding that... Uh, we got some new information about a new book that's coming out February 1st called The Division Recruited. So this one is not being written by Alex Irvine. It's being written by someone else. Um, but the someone else off the top of my head, I didn't write down his name here, but he's a very prolific writer and kind of uh, the, the video game space. Um, I believe he was a big, um, uh, I'll say Warhammer or one of those type of games. Uh, he was extremely prolific until he had some issues um, with some things that were going on in that community and left. And now he's writing a book for The Division. So uh, we do have a plot preview here, which I will read off real quickly. Uh, Myra um, has had enough. She, uh, since the green poison epidemic that hit DC, her cybersecurity degree is worthless. She can't rejoin the U.S. Navy, and her early efforts to secure Maryland led to a costly mistake, the death of her brother. Every day, new factions emerge, trying to burn her city to the ground until the, the division emerges, inspiring hope. With a grenade, uh, when a grenade kills one of their agents, Myra suddenly has a chance to make a real difference as a raw new division recruit, and she can pass, uh, if she can pass the test and overcome the enemies plotting to permanently eliminate the division once and for all. Um, so, uh, this is interesting because when this was called the division recruited, I think a lot of us assumed this was going to be like an origin story where we were going to follow someone from before the pandemic that takes place in the game, uh, in the game universe, uh, to, you know, uh, forward. And because uh, that's kind of what we got in the Hearts on Fire audiobook more recently. But this looks like it's not going to be like that. It looks like this Myra lady is going to be like a militia member um, from Maryland that is going to be brought into the division well after the pandemic had started. And, um, and the, the line at the end 
um, overcome the enemies that are planning to permanently eliminate the division. Well, there's only a few factions that are really trying to target the division very specifically. And the main one is Black Tusk. So I'm really interesting. Uh, I'm really interested if Black Tusk is going to play a role in this. We know from um, from the events of Division Two that the ant, the book, uh, the the Broken Dawn book, that uh, that Black Tusk is not just operating in New York City and D.C. That they're presumably operating everywhere east of the Mississippi and maybe more. Um, so it would be interesting if this is going to be a. Uh, you know, kind of a, an extension of what we have already seen or maybe all new enemies and, and so on and so forth. So, um, I don't know. This plot sounds great. I can't wait to read the book. Um, I, I am, uh, highly motivated to check this out. Um, agent Mab on Twitter noticed something as well that, um, this book is labeled as, uh, having to do with, uh, operation crossroads. And so, um, Mab kind of, said like, Hey, you know, is this maybe what they're going to call the extended universe for the division? Because we have, you know, the movie, the audiobook, the book, uh, I think there's another, uh, the, the, there's some other stuff potentially happening in the near future. And it seems like they may be trying to kind of put all of those under some umbrella of calling it operation crossroads, um, which is a really cool name <laughs> for what it's worth. And, um, we'll have to see what comes of that. We have a few listener questions here. Um, the first one we have from uh, Dr. Deadlift on Discord saying, with them, and this is in reference to the division, covering some of the specialization changes coming um, to the new update, which is coming in February of next year, what system in the game would you overhaul first and what would you do? That, that's broad. <laughs> that's a very broad question. Um, man, I think... From a to from a freshness point of view, I think refreshing the gear system would probably be good because then you could probably address a lot of the issues with PvP as well without actually addressing PvP because that seems like it's not really in the cards. Um, so trying to kind of do like a gear 3.0 and kind of try to rebalance everything. The problem I have with my own idea is that you would be either fiddling with gear that people have had for over a year now for well over a year a year and a half, some people, um, and you'd be screwing with their work for a long time, or you would be upping the gear score and making everyone re farm from scratch. And the issue with that is that when they brought in gear 2.0, they had, um, warlords of New York. So all of your level 30 gear didn't matter anyways, because when you went to warlords, it was level 40. So you were going to lose all your gear anyways. The problem with this new update is if they do something with the gear that makes your current gear pointless, the, the, whatever new mode they're coming up with for this new update probably isn't going to be more content prolific than Warlords was. And so there won't be any real motivation for people to refarm all their gear from scratch again. And so I think that... Um, really redoing any of the systems completely from scratch is going to be hard. Um, what they've described with the specialization system that they're redoing, it seems cool. I, I have never really been that enthralled with the specialization system in the division two. Um, I wanted to be, uh, but I think the weapons are kind of pointless in most cases, especially at end game. And I just, uh, I think since you can unlock basically everything from everyone, it never felt like there was any choice 
uh, which it seems like they're adding that in uh, with this new update that there will be some you know truly unique ways that people can build up their character through the specializations. Um, but yeah, I would say the gear system would be the thing that would that would that could do the most to impact the game for the least amount of effort, if that makes sense. Um, Joe Polidoro uh, on Discord as well said, a certain developer once said, I challenge anyone to show me an example of devs lying ever. Showing a feature in development that then has to change due to time, performance, and design, or other factors is not lying. Thoughts? So uh, I believe this is in reference to either a retweet or a direct quote from Frederick Thylander, who works at Massive uh, under Ubisoft, and he worked on the Division uh, 1 and 2, and is now working on a different thing. And um, it's, well, it's all about the qualifier, right? So he says that no dev has ever lied. So obviously devs have said one thing and then did another, but then he qualifies it by saying, um, just because they have to change something because of time restrictions, performance problems, design problems, or other factors, you know, that kind of absolves them of lying. So the main example I would give is No Man's Sky. Um, I think it was Sean Murray, I think was his name in the lead up to no man's sky. Sean Murray was just every time someone asked him like, Hey, well, no man's sky have this. He was like, sure. Yeah, it's definitely going to have that. That's going to be great. And it's so funny when you see those reviews or those interviews in hindsight, because you can tell that, you know, the interviewer says like, Oh, am I going to be able to see my friends? And you can tell like in the moment he'd be like, Oh no. Yeah, we could probably do that. So he was never like, it seemed like, and this is kind of what Frederick was talking about is that in the moment he was never trying to be like, Oh no, we don't have that, but I'm going to tell him we will. So we can try to screw them over. He was, he was just like, yeah, we'll probably do that eventually. Um, or yeah, we would like to do that. And then when they started to work on it, they're like, Oh my God, we can't do this yet. Or it's going to take a long time or we, you know, this can't be there on the release. And so, um, I, I agree with Thylander, if it was him who said that, which I'm pretty sure it was, um, that for the most part, yeah, yeah, no, no dev has ever technically lied is, is the, is the right thing. Do I think that there's been some pretty extreme examples where the, the, the problem child is typically PR and publishers and stuff like that? Um, I find it hard to believe that like the cyberpunk, everything that came out about cyberpunk in the lead up to it coming out, um, felt very, not very honest. In my opinion, there was a lot of that. They were painting the game to have features and, 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 and to, and to have depth that it simply didn't have. And it's never going to, because it wasn't designed from the start to, and, but they definitely were very happy to at least vaguely insinuate that like a game like cyberpunk was going to have things that it just didn't have. And it just never will. Um, so does that cross the line into lying? I think that probably kind of depends on who you are. Um, and, 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 and if you think, you know, where you draw your line, um, I don't really have a strong opinion on it. Um, but um, I think the point that Frederick was trying to make at that point at that time is, is fair. Um, I just think that you have to be able to have a um, an open mind uh, if, if you want to agree with him. Uh, and then the final question we have uh, here with is uh, from Master Prime on Twitter. I did cut out a couple of your questions because they were a little bit redundant for me. But uh, the one very simple one is pre-ordering a game bad. Um, and I'm still very conflicted about that because at this point... 
especially with digital downloads. Like I, I posted on Twitter last week that like I haven't downloaded a game or I haven't purchased a physical game since the PlayStation 3 360 era. I did not purchase a single disc with the Xbox One generation. I had a OG Xbox One and I had a One X. I downloaded every single game I played. And then um, I was gifted for Christmas Assassin's Creed Origins. And that's the only disc I ever put in my Xbox. And then um, with my Series X, obviously I haven't down, I haven't put this, that, that disc drive will never be used for anything. I can like 99% guarantee it. So in that era, I, I do think that pre-ordering kind of doesn't make sense because nowadays you just, you know, it, you can preload and for the most part, disc and games are just essentially, you know, a game code uh, that's on a disc because most discs that don't even have the game on them. So you can't, even, you know, you, you can't have your Xbox disconnect from the internet, put the disc in and play the game. At least not very many examples of that exist anymore. Um, so really the only bonus to pre-ordering now are when they do pre-order bonus. You you might get to play a couple days early. You might get an outfit or a mission that people who do it digitally won't get. Or maybe they will get it, but only if they pre-order too, even though they don't really need the pre-order. Um, I, I don't think pre-ordering is bad per se, but I do think that we're in kind of a Wild West situation where um, game developers and especially publishers are trying to figure out ways to incentivize people to pre-order so they can have that like guaranteed money. They know what they're, what's coming. Um, but they're kind of resorting to kind of shady tactics to get people to do it like early access and things like that. So do I think it's inherently bad? No. Do I think it can be bad? A hundred percent. And, and I think we see various examples of that uh from games like cyberpunk and avengers and things like that and um and in some you know even though there's a hundred lessons out there why people shouldn't pre-order uh you know don't don't be surprised if, if it pre-orders for games like call of duty and fifa and all those continue to be crazy big for the till the end of time because uh, i think people just enjoy the idea of of having a thing before they have it even if they don't actually have it uh, okay, so moving on to some content updates. Um, so I am attempting to find a better camera currently uh, for my stream and for I do a video version of this podcast if you aren't watching it on YouTube. Um, I am currently using a Logitech C920, which is like five, six, seven years old at this point. It still works pretty well. And that's been reinforced by the fact that I've tried other cameras. Um, like I just sent back a Logitech Brio, which is supposed to be a 4K 60 FPS camera. Um, and it looked way worse than my C920, at least for my setup. So right now I have a Logitech stream cam on its way. It's actually going to be here today. Um, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to try Elgato face cam. Um, and if that doesn't work, I'm just going to stick with my C920 and live happily ever after because I am never going to pay like a thousand dollars for a DSLR setup. Now, if you have any um, questions or if you have any opinions on that, I am happy to hear them. You can put them in the comments of the YouTube video or tag me on Twitter or reply to me on there. Um, but I have just not found anything better than this stupid old C920. And, um, and I'm hoping that I do because I would like to be able to make like, you know, like YouTube videos and stuff with a little bit higher quality and things like that, which right now I am kind of resorting to having a fairly small window and then trailers playing, uh, because if I full screen the C920, it looks pretty awful. So, 
So, yeah, so there's that. Um, I am doing a big giveaway right now. Um, I'm doing a Logitech bundle. Um, it has a Logitech a G502 Hero mouse, um, a G432 headset, and a G213 keyboard. Um, the keyboard and the mouse uh, are actually the ones I use, and they are excellent. I am uh, very, very happy with them. Um, I haven't heard or used the headset, but the reviews of it were extremely good, um, and, it, and I got it for less than half price. Um, that's why I was able to do this giveaway. So this is over $200 worth of equipment. Um, I didn't pay $200 for it. I got it for a lot cheaper, um, but it's a great bundle. And if you're looking to upgrade your your headset, your mouse, your uh, your keyboard, it's a pretty good option. So um, you can check out the ways um, to enter into that um, in the description of this video or podcast. You can also look on my Twitter at Bondiesel or the EchoCast Twitter at the EchoCast and, uh, and find the links for that. I'll be spamming them everywhere. Um, the final bit here in the content updates is I do have a Discord again. Um, I've tried this a few times and I've never really set it up where I really enjoyed interacting with it. And it just turned into a thing where I just neglected it. Therefore people who joined it neglected it. So um, this is my uh, attempt uh, one more time to do it. Um, I have set it up in a way where it's easy for me to interact. There's a bunch of stuff going on. Um, so if you want to talk about games, if you want to talk about the echo cast, if you want to talk about the division, if you want to talk about mass effect, all of these things have their own little chat rooms in there and people who want to talk about them. Um, and I would love to have more. So please check out uh, the discord and um, I will be putting in uh, various updates and things like that uh, in there as well. So, um, I'm gonna wrap it up. Uh, you can uh, check me out on Twitter at Bondiesel and at the EchoCast. And if you want some merch uh, for either, you can check out streamlabs.com/bondiesel. Uh, and that's all I have. So until next time. I'm gonna go